Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Tuesday, November 8th, the Cannabis Liberation Movement takes a huge step forward, and CannabisRadio.com is here to chronicle this legendary moment. Cannabis Radio will feature six hours of wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments, ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the Cannabis Crusade. CannabisRadio.com's 2016 Marijuana Election Night coverage begins at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, only on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Greetings and welcome back. This is our pre-election special episode. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, broadcasting live from the KFNX studio in Central Phoenix. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout-out to our listeners tuning in to the XRQK radio network stations everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Major market media outlets have an ethical, professional, and social responsibility to provide impartial, accurate, and credible news to readers who rely upon such reporting to make informed decisions impacting their families, communities, and society at large. It's an egregious disservice to readers when a publication omits relevant, critical information or allows false claims to repeatedly slip by unchecked by editors, particularly when such errors and omissions favor a biased point of view. It was no surprise that the Arizona Republic Editorial Board published its recommendation that voters cast a no vote on Arizona State Ballot Measure Prop 205. Ever since the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol commenced, the frequency and repetition of articles and op-eds admonishing the measure to the exclusion of those that support it have made the bias on the issue quite obvious. It was a surprise, I should say, the meritless nature of the platitudes on which that recommendation was based. I mean, at the very least, I would have expected them to provide some sound reasoning, grounded in fact, rather than relying upon arcane reefer madness, propaganda, or rhetoric straight out of the War on Drugs playbook. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with an editorial board endorsing a candidate or taking a position on a controversial issue, provided that they have backed their position with indisputable facts, credible arguments, and citations from qualified sources. There's also nothing wrong with publishing commentary about citizen authors who voice a strong opinion. Such articles make for healthy public debate, and they help readers learn about important social platforms so that they can formulate their own opinions. However, duplicative publication of op-eds favoring only one side of a controversial topic without giving equal voice to an opposing point of view, and doing so without fact-checking outrageous claims or retracting statements proven to be false, seems to lack integrity, particularly when those pieces are written by public figures whose scathing condemnations are politically motivated, riddled with misinformation, delivered out of context, and with blatant disregard for the truth. We've seen way too many of those, and that's the topic of today's show. So, I'm here with marijuana expert and former cannabis beat reporter at the Phoenix New Times, Nate Nichols. Let's get started, shall we? Thanks, Nun. 
So in the studio today with us is John Hartzell from Media Buzz, and he's here to give his input on media outrages lies. Welcome. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> also in the studio with us is Laura Bianchi, a cannabis law expert and partner of Rose Law Group, who happens to be an anchor of the upcoming election night coverage from Cannabis Radio. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Glad to have you back, both of you. And calling in from California today is Darren Babin, who's the co-founder of Cannabis Radio Network, and he is incredibly busy putting together a six-hour simulcast that is going to be airing on television stations nationwide, and it'll be airing on our network, XRQK Radio Network, all over the place. And I'm so happy that you're here. Darren, are you there? Thanks for having me. Oh, I good. Am. There you are. Thank there you, you are. And um, eventually calling in will be Andrew Hart if he's able to get a line that works. But let's get started. Um, Darren, I want to start with you. I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about the simulcast and what is what we can expect. Well, it's going to be an exciting, uh, exciting broadcast. It's probably one of our biggest undertakings. Um, but I gotta say, we really have a, a top-notch team, and and I, I think what has helped us uh, put together such an amazing uh, evening for folks is that we do bring to bear uh, a lot of experience from the broadcast side of the world uh, in, in television, and on the radio side of things, you know, we've been doing online radio for many, many, many years, far many years than I'd like to admit on the radio, um, and so for the night, we have managed to call together a massive list of, of guests, both in California, um, at our location, uh, which will be at the Drug Policy Action Watch Party. And then, of course, we'll have people scattered across the United States that will be reaching into us um, to help us cover some of those uh, remote areas. Um, you know, Lord knows North Dakota's closing. We have no polling from North Dakota right now. We couldn't even tell you what North Dakota looks like. Uh, but we are going to, to have guests um, who will be talking to campaign managers uh, and various uh, people who are running for uh, Congress right now. We have athletes. We have celebrities. Um, and we have uh, people who are... Uh, the heads of the reform organizations, such as uh, Tom Angel with Marijuana Majority, John Hudak from the Brookings Institute, Karen O'Keefe uh, from Marijuana Policy Project, George Jage from MJ Biz Daily, uh, Keith Strop from Normal. And, and this list just keeps going and going and going. Um, so for six hours, uh, we will be covering the poll updates as they happen uh, we expect it to be a very, very, very exciting night. Uh, you'll be able to to listen to it uh, as usual through CannabisRadio.com, or um, there are many, many sites uh, who have partnered with us to take either our audio stream and place that on their website, 
or the video from the television broadcast that we're doing that night as well. So keep your eyes peeled, folks. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah, well, you know what I really love about the concept, too, is that you're not just covering the pro-legalization um, people. You'll be also interviewing some opponents, actually. We are. Um, you know, as we begin to reach out into the mainstream media, uh, which really is comprised of folks from uh, ABC, CBS, a couple of NBC stations, and then, of course, Fox. Um, all of these folks were very interested in having this type of a coverage, uh, but they were concerned about us being biased. And, you know, we are CannabisRadio.com, and that kind of says bias in its name. Uh, but we were able to, you know, convince them that we would do a fair and balanced broadcast. Now, I know for some folks within the community that, you know, I've heard, why would you, why would you give airtime to, to these guys that don't support the plant and, you know, are propagandists, you know, prohibitionists? Well, quite honestly, if, if we want to forward our cause within the mainstream media, we do have to be able to approach it in a fair and balanced way. And I think this is a great example of showing mainstream media that, you know, we're not a bunch of hippies running around and, you know, yelling, free the weed. Uh, we actually can have an open dialogue that is fair and balanced. Whether or not we like what we hear or not is irrelevant. What is relevant is that the mainstream media is willing to take that and to propel that more mainstream for us. It gives us the ability to touch more people and to change more hearts and minds with the truth. Yeah, well, the truth is something that we're trying to get to the bottom of today. And um, I just wanted to uh, put out one of the uh, funniest, I should say, uh, lies that I've heard ever came from Anne-Marie Burkle, who was a New York um, legislator. She said, you have a one in five chance, a higher chance of having a heart attack within the first hour of smoking marijuana. There are legitimate side effects of this drug. Isn't it? It isn't funny that we're putting our kids and country at risk. John, what do you think of that? Well, I, I just love the uh, reaction that Gary Johnson had when that happened. He stood yeah. up and faked a heart attack, and, and it brought light to how ridiculous the claim was and, and uh, how important it is for our politicians to call people out that are making these false claims and how important it is, just what we were hearing earlier, uh, that mainstream media start to – uh, be confronted with mainstream like media from the cannabis industry. And I know that's a focus for us at WeediaBuzz.com and, and putting forth a professional atmosphere in telling the story of cannabis, whether it's medicinal or the importance of taxing and regulating it like, like alcohol. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that also so many of the, uh, lies about the health risks and all of that. I mean, what was it back in 19, 89 or something like that. President Reagan was saying that marijuana is absolutely the most dangerous drug ever there was. And I find that to be completely incredulous because I wonder, you know, it, it that did come straight out of a war on drugs playbook. But just say no. Just say no. Just say no. Yeah. 
But I mean, it's it's incredibly. That's what's ingrained in people's heads. Well, it's it's the the war on cannabis started in 1936 with reefer madness, and the madness and the claims that they have made have remained unbelievably false and untrue uh, from that time forward. And so it is the stage that was set in 1936 was to to uh, lash out with uh, highly false claims and uh, put cannabis in the same corner as drugs that truly are very dangerous to us and our society. Why don't you think uh, the mainstream media does more to call people out on these kind of lies right now? Well, I think they're uh, obviously primarily funded by and backed by some of the big money that's behind those industries that benefit from cannabis and hemp being remaining illegal in the United States. Whether it's big pharma or big oil, uh, they are a big part of the funding streams to, that go to our big media companies. So that's why, Nate, I think that's the case. Yeah. I did find that quote from uh, Ronald Reagan. He said, permanent brain damage is one of the inevitable results of use of marijuana. <laughs> and what I did was I found a couple of facts um, that that not only dispute that, but everybody else who's saying that, you know, this is so damaging. Um, in 1994, the U.S. government filed a patent on the neuroprotective properties of cannabis. Isn't that right, Nate? Was it 1994? And 1998, the National Institute of Mental Health found that marijuana may actually protect brain cells. 2014, a research study suggested that the natural age-related decline in neurogenesis might in part be uh, due to a rundown in the endocannabinoid system. And in that same study, they said that endocannabinoids might be exploited to promote the colonization of areas of neural loss. So, I mean... those seem to be indisputable uh, facts. Um, another thing that I think is really kind of funny is um, all the talk about how uh, dangerous to our society the legalization would be. And one of the things that I think um, you could answer, Laura, would be um, the, the deaths that are going to be caused by this, um, the overrunning of of uh, the access to to children, adolescents, and that sort of thing. What are some of the protections, for instance, in 205 that will be in place to prevent some of these things from happening? So really the purpose of Proposition 205 is the exact opposite. When we regulate and control and tax something, it, it allows us to, to control where it's coming from, where it's going, the quality, what's in it, making sure that it's safe, and making sure that it's going to the right individuals, much like the alcohol industry. The alcohol industry exists and certainly, does it happen that kids get a hold of things they shouldn't? Yes, but by having a a law in place that they have to be 21, you have to ID them, all these things serve as barriers that they've got to go through in order to get alcohol. And so the same would be for marijuana. Right now, there is rampant access to it on the black market. So not only do you have massive amounts of funding going to the cartels and black market and the gangs, but you have no idea what your kids are getting. So I'm certainly not saying that passing Proposition 205 is now I want you know children smoking marijuana. This is for adults over the age of 21 who have the ability right. to consume marijuana, and it's meant to protect our children. It is not meant to, you know, suddenly we're going to start having cartoons that advertise to the 12-year-old. I mean, if you read the language of the initiative, there's nothing in it that in any way, shape, or form threatens our, our society or our children. It actually allocates funding to our education system, which, again, in Arizona is number... I think we're 40, 48th uh, yeah. in the nation. We're, I mean, we're turning out kids that can't even read. So right now we're already doing our children a disservice. So now you're going to take over $50 million annually 
which will be allocated to our education system. So not only is it, it not going to damage or suddenly turn all of our children into you know pot-smoking fiends, it's actually going to benefit them from an educational perspective. So important. What you mentioned, the, 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 we're going to actually create a new governmental entity that will help to regulate cannabis in the state, and, and that's one of the biggest oppositions, Snowden, when we talk about some of the things that the no folks are saying, is that we're going to be creating – uh, a new uh, governmental entity. Well, Arizona already has a Department of Liquor Licenses and Controls because it understands that regulating that uh, commerce is important to the state and creating a safe environment for that to happen. We should be doing that with cannabis because it's already available. It is available in every uh, part of Arizona to as many people as want to find access to it. So why not take those resources and that revenue away from drug cartels and put it in the hands of our educators to make a better education system, to Laura's point. And I think, too, if I can just add to that, there's a lot of people who keep calling this this new marijuana police force. I have news for you. The police already exist. The federal government already exists. They can come into your home at any point in time and arrest you. So what this does is actually creates a body for regulation, for control, for enforcement, so that, again, it's being handled properly and safely. We're not putting, you know, different products and things in there that are harmful to consumers. It is not meant to go in and suddenly start, you know, arresting people. We already have that in existence. This is giving us rules and regulations to stay within so you lessen the issues from a police perspective, which already exists. And speaking of governing bodies, one of the complaints that I've heard is that 50 percent of the um, members of the board that will be regulating when they set that up will be dispensary owners or people in the business. And I don't remember who said it, but I remember someone saying, hey, look, you know, what would you do if APS, for example, um, put uh, 50 percent of the people who are regulating that industry came from that uh, company? Is but, that a problem? No. I mean, I think that the answer is, right, if it would be like saying that the board that governs, you know, the medical board that governs physicians are not physicians. Well, then how do you know the ins and outs of the industries and what it means to be a physician? So having half of the industry from the industry gives you insight into the real world issues, the business needs, the regulatory control, you know, the positives versus the negatives. And then you also have a balanced other 50 percent that's not from the industry. I don't see how that could be mm-hmm. a negative if you want this to be a real world regulatory approach. Not to mention, Laura, can you talk about how these folks are going to be appointed, what the process will be? I mean, it's a pretty simple process, and it's similar to how other agencies are, are handled as well, correct? Absolutely. They'll be appointed much like the liquor board. There will be checks and balances in place. Again, this is not something that's going to be turned into a, you know, good old boys club that we're going to have people who want, you know, the negative side. This is supposed to be a fair and balanced approach, and people that have, yes, it, are they going to have a, a position from within the industry? Yes, but they also have to have, you know, certain qualifications, certain certain things that will govern that 50% that will make it a positive. And the chairperson, who is kind of the tie-breaking vote, is appointed by the governor. So right. and he's certainly no fan of marijuana. Right. Yeah, so. um, you know, he got his yeah. pal over at Discount Tire to donate a million dollars to the no campaign. So we, we, we certainly know the, the, the stance from the governor's office. And, and it does create some kind of a comfort level for those folks who are opposed to this initiative to know that they have the hands 
of the governor directly on uh, this initiative if it passes on Tuesday. And uh, and that's what voters should understand is that their uh, conservative government has their hands directly on uh, how this initiative will be processed and, and can take uh, some comfort in that. So if you're on the edge and you think that drug cartels are bad, voting yes on Prop 205 takes this uh, industry out of the hands of cartels and puts it into the government in Arizona, which is a conservative government. Right. Takes over $400 million out of the black market each year and puts it into the Arizona business pocket. Yeah, and, and a lot of people were afraid that it wouldn't happen. In fact, someone had said that in Colorado, none of that money had actually uh, reached the schools, but I think that's been disputed by legislators from Colorado, correct? Absolutely. They've called out some of that uh, rhetoric and uh, explained that people really uh, – the reason that they didn't get money is that, that they didn't ask for it. If, uh, you know, they, the schools had to go individually apply. So of course there were some that didn't and they didn't get any money, but, uh, it doesn't mean that there hasn't been millions of dollars raised for education. Yeah. In fact, so. I think they, they did get $40 million put into some of the new programs in Colorado for children. Yeah, there was $40 million that went directly to construction. I'm looking at the press release right now, uh, but that the Department of Education, through uh, its Building Excellent Schools Today Best Program, received $115 million in marijuana tax revenues that went to uh, repairing schools, to uh, putting new air conditioning system in, to building schools where they're overpopulated. Uh, so, so the claims by the No campaign are absolutely false. If you talk to anyone from Colorado, uh, they will tell you that not only their schools, but their economy has improved. They have the lowest unemployment rate in the United States, under 3%, when we just moved under 5% nationally. Um, this is a true uh, benefit to not just the economy, but to the yeah. people that live within it. And I think it's an example of how they're taking facts and skewing them 100 percent in the fact that they continue to say the Denver public school system didn't get any money. Well, they're absolutely correct because it's a very well-funded program. I'm from Colorado. I worked for Governor Owens. I worked in politics in Colorado. And Denver School District is, is very well-funded and had access to other money. So they simply didn't apply for it. So the statement that they did not get any money, true. However, they forget the latter part of that statement, which is they didn't apply for it or ask for it. Other school districts did, and they were allocated a huge amount of, of revenue from the marijuana industry in Colorado. Yeah, and I, I think that the model in Arizona and the model in California will will likely provide a lot of funding to education. And I thought it was really interesting that the California is, let's see, the projected market. This just came out from uh, New Frontier Data, the cannabis. And California, of all of the states that have marijuana on the ballot this year, California actually anticipates getting the largest amount of money annually from the sale of legalized marijuana. In fact, um, here it says $4 billion, $283,673,231 to be exact. <laughs> I mean, that's a, Holy that's, cow. that's a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, you know, whereas some of the, the states that um, there's Montana, North Dakota, Arkansas, Florida, they're only uh, legalizing medical use right now. So they can look at Arizona and California to see approximately what they might be able to bring in, you know, with medical use marijuana. But I don't know. It just seems like a no brainer for uh, 205-64 and all the other legalization measures to pass. Um, Darren, I didn't forget about you, <laughs> but, 
But um, anyway, I was I was looking through um, Russ Belleville, who's also going to be hosting uh, the simulcast later on. Um, he actually put together a list of some of the the myths um, about Prop 64. And, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting is that there are a lot of people who are who are saying that um, that proposition is really not going to be good for actual legalization. And it, it just means that um, cops are going to be busting more more people. Um, I, I just didn't even understand why some people feel that this is not going to be good for those who advocate for legalization. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think the concern from, you know, those in California, uh, I, I'm hearing predominantly the the voice of opposition come out of the grow community. Um, you know, the, the fact that uh, Prop 64 uh, limits your personal possession to one ounce uh, or eight grams of concentrate, or six plants um, for home grow max. Um, you know, as far as possession goes, uh, you know these growers they don't like that. Um, and there's there's you know there's others within um, you know that side of the community that that just do not like it. But there no vote. This is what that does. It retains drug-free workplaces. It maintains exclusionary housing. It um, it maintains transplant discrimination and, of course, public smoking penalties. But what Prop 64 does create, and this is just a a you know a minimal viewpoint of it. Um, you know, beyond your your possession limits is child custody protection, right, for medical marijuana. Uh, retroactive penalty reduction, which is huge. Post-conviction relief is something that, you know, we would love to have seen happen here uh, on Prop 205 and, and didn't quite get there yet. Uh, however, California is that progressive leader uh, for public policy, and we are very excited to see uh, post-conviction relief make that. Uh, and the other thing is a 15% excise tax plus $9.25 per ounce. So, you know, just as you mentioned with respect to the amount of money that uh, California will be raising, and this this for a, a state that has long been bankrupt. California needs this money. They need to take the money from the black market and put it back into their economy. They are the fifth largest economy in the world. To shore that economy up um, in, a, in a manner that's going to create an excess of 100,000 jobs um, and allow for, for some inmates who are in jail for nonviolent crimes uh, due to, you know, cannabis possession, in some cases it would allow them to petition to, to for their release and uh, also have their records expunged. It gives people a free life once again without anything hanging over their head and give, give California uh, a, a lot of new people who have skills 
that can contribute to that economy instead of being a financial burden. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I hear people talk to me and ask me all the time, you know, what about Prop, Prop 64? You know, would you vote for it? I say absolutely. You know, I, a vote no is to keep people in prison right now. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I couldn't look someone in the eye who's locked up right now um, and say, well, we passed that law here in Arizona, but uh, you, sir, get to stay behind bars. Yeah, and particularly I, I, the fact that it's disproportionately um, skewed toward minority youth. And also, yep. there there are a lot of three-strike laws that um, have people in prison for life. <laughs> For, for basically possessing marijuana. And um, I know that a lot of presidential pardon, pardons have gone out um, in the last year. But, you know, still and all, people who have been convicted of felonies, even though it was just for possessing marijuana, they can't vote um, unless those records are right. expunged. So, yeah, I think you're right about right. that. Yeah, uh, I, I think just real quickly on that, Snowden, I, Darren's point to – towards uh, incarceration and unemployment are really important to the the conversation that we're having because those who have been incarcerated for a harmless plant uh, are not only just a uh, now not involved in in society and and in our commerce but they are a drag on our commerce because because we ultimately pay the tax dollars that support their incarceration Mm -hmm. in addition to that we have so many folks that are unemployed or underemployed that are performing they're earning an income but they're earning an, an income in the black market which means we are unable to capture those payroll revenues and tax dollars to our system as well so uh, again, Absolutely. back back to the conservative voter. If I'm a conservative voter, then I should be looking for ways to draw more dollars to the bottom line that are not coming out of my pocket. And so, again, if you're on the edge, this is a libertarian initiative enabling you to create freedom for a plant and draw more dollars to the bottom line that are not coming from your pocket. Right. Wait, I think we heard from Andrew Hard, who's calling in from New York of CMW Media. Are you there, Andrew? Yes, yes, I'm on the line. I'm I'm from California, so I'm really enjoying uh, these gentlemen's conversation. You know, California literally has an economy the size of a industrialized country, and uh, how much it's going to mean uh, for the people there. I think you really can't underestimate. I think as this thing passes, and uh, the gentleman was right. Uh, growers don't like it because of the fixed plant rule. That is the main controversy. I actually was on the Heavy Tea Grow Show out in California, and the hosts of that show were extremely, extremely opposed to it for that reason. Uh, however, you know, it is just a positive first step mm-hmm. and a really, really important one. And, uh, you know, I think you really could be looking at the global leader in the cannabis industry um, very quickly after it passes. Um, yeah. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm flying back there very soon, but, yeah, I'm, I'm on a business trip in New York, so just forgive any, any background noise if uh, oh, that's you know, okay. ambulance drives by me. Well, I really wanted to bring you in for a parental uh, perspective because I have been so touched by some of the people that you have been assisting and getting the word out and helping to pass legislation um, to protect their children who are suffering from debilitating disease. And I just wanted to get your perspective because uh, one of the one of the myths that's floating around out there is, you know, hey, you've got a medical marijuana law in Arizona, California and other places. So why on earth would you want to legalize what 
you know, what could we stand to gain? And you of all people would likely know that some of these parents who have very sick children who could benefit from cannabis, but their conditions aren't on the list. Um, what would you tell those voters? So those voters need to very, very actively uh, petition their state legislature because what you can do is you saw the recent medical bills uh, passed in, uh, say, uh, Massachusetts and uh, Pennsylvania um, literally listed the medical indication that they were approved for. And, uh, you know, it's, it's looking like Florida's will be somewhat similar. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, I'm glad you asked me about that. Um, I, I just finished in October the Fisher family from Brazil, Cacciale and Noberto Fisher from Brazil, um, were out here uh, visiting California and, and Dallas, Texas, and they were the first ever family with a daughter with CDKL5 epilepsy um, to have sued the government of Brazil, the federal government, and uh, and Visa, which is Brazil's FDA, for access to uh, CBD or cannabidiol, uh, in this case from hemp. And uh, they sued the federal government and set a precedent for all of Brazil, which, you know, is another very large economy, that the eighth largest in the world. Um, so this was a major, major deal for Latin America and other countries such as Paraguay have quickly followed suit. Um, they presented the girls' seizure charts uh, to the court and had documented everything with a doctor and a lawyer. So literally the court ruled it would be inhumane uh, to keep cannabidiol from their daughter, Annie Fisher. And they were just up here visiting the United States. They visited California. They went up to San Francisco for the New West Summit. And then they actually went to Dallas, Texas, in one of the most uh, heartwarming moments I've ever had working on all this uh, in the industry. They met Miss Penny Howard in Dallas. And it was on the cover of the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Tell people who Penny is, because she's got such a, uh, briefly, just... um uh, fill yeah, everyone she's in. Become quite the, yeah, she's become quite the figure out there. Um, you know, I got to meet Penny at the Hope for Harper race for her daughter, Harper, who sadly has left us as of last January. Um, that was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life. Um, but thankfully, uh, Harper had CDKL5, and thankfully Penny Facebooked it and shared it with the world. And somehow the Fishers found her Facebook page from thousands and thousands of miles away. And, um, you know, it's a very touching story. Penny's been really great about getting out there, getting vocal. She's even been on uh, Fox News Channel, on a Fox News Health Talk with Dr. Manny. I was very proud of her for for that. And, uh, you know, getting to meet those families and getting to meet those kids is, is really what makes, uh, you remember the statement, uh, which has to be the worst one, which was the recent one by the head of the DEA saying that medical marijuana was a joke. Um, knowing these families and these children who really would not be alive if it weren't for this. Uh, really, really, I'm able to know on a personal level that that's about the most heinous, obscene, offensive thing you could ever possibly say. And there are children in the world, and, and probably not enough because of all the misinformation, who are without question alive because of this. And uh, that, that's certainly my, my most recent comment to, to bring up, is uh, what an unbelievably outstandingly uh, horrible thing that was for a, a you know a government leader to say yeah andrew i i'm you know listening to you and it and it and it's so awesome to hear these really incredible stories of of children 
veterans, cancer patients, patients and survivors, uh, our, our sports heroes using the, using cannabis to move themselves away from, from dangerous opioids. I mean, the, there's story after story after story, both on the medicinal side and on the side of the need to have access without it being required to have a medicinal certification to participate in uh, the use of cannabis. And I can tell you from our experience, it's the veterans who have the greatest need to access without using a medical certification because of the federal government's position. And this is a continuing struggle, but the more of these states that come on board, the closer we'll get to access for those folks who actually need uh, the plant for medicinal purposes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got to be inevitable The the federal government cannot sit there and still claim that there's no, no medical use for marijuana, which is still part of their nomenclature at the DEA. Right. right. And, um, and well, that it's a dangerous uh, drug that it has a high potential for abuse. And there, there's now a plurality in the United States that have access to uh, medical cannabis uh after this election, given that Prop 64 passes, likely to be a plurality of people with access to uh, legal recreational cannabis. Mm-hmm. The federal government cannot avoid the need to have banking and other financial services uh, available to an industry that will produce billions of dollars in commerce and tax revenue. And so uh, it will quickly have to make a move. And, and I hope Barack Obama is listening to uh, the industry when it says it's time for him to make a move and do it before uh, either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton become president of the United States because neither of those two candidates are good for cannabis. Yeah. Well, the argument that more research is needed well, that might be true, but I think we have plenty on the books right now to prove the medical and social benefits. That's part of expanding the access, too, I think, is mm-hmm. expanding the research access and the ability to really study it and understand the effects and beneficial uses of marijuana. And I think, too, you know, one thing that, that we get sort of inundated in the facts, which I think are 100 percent on our side, and certainly there's still more research needed, which, you know, it, is important as well. But I think it's important to remember that greed and politics are what made it illegal to begin with, right? Yeah. So you had some of the largest and wealthiest men in the United States who did not appreciate that hemp was damaging their industry. Mm-hmm. So they worked hard. They came up with all these this nonsense that became reefer madness and made it illegal. They changed the name. Suddenly it wasn't cannabis. It was marijuana. All these sort of underhanded political things that turned it into this fearful, horrendous thing. And if you look at it today, those same types of individuals are against it. You have the extremely wealthy who are siding with their political cronies, who most of them haven't even read the initiative. You have people like groups like Incense who are actually trying to get into the cannabis industry by producing synthetic cannabis, who have made all of their money off of producing opioids, and suddenly they're taking a position against the, the actual plant. So I think when you look into the history of cannabis and where we are today, the politics behind the no campaign have not changed. And and I think over and over again, they make themselves, they show their true selves by showing who's supporting them. And these right. people are, 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 you know. Yeah, it's, it's so incredibly propaganda. obvious. Steve D'Angelo said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, the there's an ironic, almost tragic phenomenon, which is that seniors who are one of the groups who can most benefit from use of cannabis are the single group which remains most opposed to reforming cannabis laws. I... I think that um, the pharmaceutical companies are helping to uh, proliferate the lies. Sure. But what do you think of that? Well, they have the the 
pharmaceutical companies have most access to this category of, of people, our aging population. So they certainly have the best ability to penetrate that market with mm-hmm. uh, their lies and information. Ultimately, it's the drugs that they are pushing towards these folks that have damaging qualities to their liver and heart and can lead to a sooner departure from this earth than uh, than otherwise. I know so many people in the aging population that are using cannabis not just for pain management but to help with sleep, uh, to help with just daily activities, the desire to eat, uh, creating an appetite, uh, that they've been able to eliminate opi- opioids from there and, and ultimately extend their life because they have moved to cannabis uh, as a solution. So certainly they need more access yeah. uh, and they need more truth. I was doing some research on on a drug called Ativan, which is benzodiazepine, and dealing with a uh, with my father actually. And one of the uh, well, many of the conditions that um, Ativan is meant to control would be the sort of ca- um, combative nature of people who are living in nursing facilities. That if they don't suffer from dementia physically the drugs make them demented. Um, they're treating people for hallucinations, for um, for dementia, for combative behavior and all of that. But the irony is that when that drug wears off, it actually causes uh, hallucinations, dementia, and, and combative behavior. So that compels caregivers to say, oh, they need another dose. So it's created this this vicious cycle of dependency. I mean, I, it, it's it's just phenomenal. And also some of the drugs that are prescribed even to children. Yeah, it, and, and it's totally cyclical. Like you say, I'm just looking at statistics here that show that 17.6% of high school seniors reported that they have used opioids medicinally uh, last year. Meaning we're training our society, our children, that these are the answers to their soreness issue problem uh, from high school mm-hmm. on. And um, making it okay because it's legitimately prescribed by doctors. And if you're having withdrawals, you should take more. Exactly. exactly. And Snowden, um, I, I can attest uh, to the whole vitamin A angle. Um, you know, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's, and, um, you know, that's, that's the way that they handle, um, you know, their patients. They keep them, they medicate them to compliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I can tell you wholeheartedly that, um, you know, my mother-in-law, she had her, her time with cannabis and it, it was a better alternative for her than was, you know, Ativan yeah, and some of the, the other. The Sarah quality Quell. of life and they can actually yes. function, you know, as, as an individual. In a way. And I think, too, it gives Absolutely. people options. I mean, I think that's the number one thing is that you yeah. tend to see both sides of this. You know, I, I don't think the cannabis cures all and I don't think the pharmaceutical you know, or the medical industry cures all. I think, you know, my sister's a doctor and having conversations from the medical side of this, everyone is different. Your system is different. What works for you is different. Shoving, you know, these very serious, serious pharmaceuticals and opioids and things down people's throat generally doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. For some people, that may be the better option. For some people, cannabis is the better option. But again, you're opening this up to the medical community and saying, look, your, your insurance isn't threatened, your license isn't threatened. It gives you the option of looking at your patient as a whole and saying, what's going to give you the highest quality of life? What are the different options that cannabis offers, that typical medicine, you know, traditional medicine offers? And if you can look at the, the spectrum, 
to me, that's better medicine all around. Right. Well, a lot of the doctors are saying, you know, that even if it becomes legalized um, in the states that have these ballot measures, they still have their hands tied because they cannot, under their DEA license, they cannot prescribe a Schedule One narcotic. It's a really difficult place, and I can't tell you how many, I certainly wouldn't disclose them, but MDs that I have that call me that go, you know, look, I have patients that I think this will absolutely benefit them. It's not something I can, you know, I can issue a certification for because of who I work for, my insurance, my licensing, different fears that are very serious when you've spent, you know, $400,000 to go to school and become a physician. I understand that. Um you know, but then we'll we'll actually call, you know, myself or other professionals and say, where can I send my patients so at least I give them access to it? So I don't, and not in all cases, but I think a lot of physicians are very interested and understand the benefits. Do they want more testing and research? Certainly. But again, we're all sort of have our hands tied. It's like the chicken and the egg. I yeah. can't do more research and I can't give you more information. You know, it, it's it's a silly thing. But I think that a lot of physicians are are interested they just there's real world things at play that they have to take into consideration so they're trying to find alternative ways to get their patients the help they need yeah john if if prop 205 passes or 64 passes that doctor is no longer in that position because they can make a recommendation and know that that um that patient has access to it without a certification and so they can they can go and try it out for themselves and if they want to join the medical program then they can go see a certification doctor that does that but the physician now the doctor now will have the option to at least make a recommendation to give that a try to give cannabis a try to solve their problem it's astonishing how many doctors do not understand or know the endocannabinoid system Sure. And and I encourage, if there are any MDs listening today, I, I truly encourage you to look into some of the conferences. There are a number of them coming up, actually. I think there's one in November. There's one in April. Um, and and learn about this. They have the continuing medical education CME credits at some of these events. But it really, um, it, for caring for patients, for caring for these sick children, for, um, you know, caring for veterans and people who are trying to get off of addictive drugs. It really, really is important for doctors to not just go, well, I'm not going to talk to you about this and to allow their patients, I mean, do no harm, allow them to explore this as an option because intuitively most patients who need cannabis gravitate toward it. And so, you know, I think, too, that's where just all of us that support this industry and support the plant and know the many benefits come into play as well. I just had a conversation with one of my physicians who I adore and I respect her. And I can't tell you how many times now we've sat down. And when I first spoke with her, she was adamantly against it. But, you know, she respects me. She's known me for years and we've talked. And and so then, you know, she starts to understand a little bit more. And, and as you educate and you give people information, I've yet to have someone really, I mean, depending on your where you are. If you really have an educated conversation with someone that says, hey, look, this is a safe place. You can disagree with me. I'm fine with that. But let me let me explain to you the benefits and some of the facts and some of the things you may not know. And I am amazed at how many people that were staunchly on one side come around because you're giving them information. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important to, you know, I understand the anger and I understand how frustrating it is. But those one-on-one conversations make a huge difference in, in passing things like this. You know, I get on Facebook friends that, I don't even think of that will, you know, comment on my page and say, hey, my whole family voted for Prop 205 because of you. And it, that makes a bigger difference than, 
any of these other sort of outlets because it means that all this time and all this effort, it's making a difference and people are listening and you're giving them inter- you know, information and education about a plant that, that can do so much. And yeah. that's how we're going to win this is really one person. Exactly. Snowden. Darren, go ahead. Hey, yes. I, I just wanted to thank you. I am being pulled away and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for your support for this broadcast um, and, oh, and tell welcome. everyone listening, make sure you tune in. The the beautiful Laura Bianchi, who's on the air right now, is going to be co-anchoring this and she's obviously a wealth of knowledge, uh, as is Russ Belleville. And I just want to thank everybody uh, who's helped us make this thing happen for Tuesday, Tuesday night, 3 o'clock Pacific. Make sure you check it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll have it all on our website. And um, thank you so much, Darren. I really appreciate you being here. And no doubt we'll be talking in the next couple of days. <laughs> thank you, Snowden. You're so gracious. Thank you all. Thanks, Darren. See you soon. Thanks, Darren. Okay. Oh, well, we're, we're getting pretty close here to the end of the show. But, um, oh, what else? Well, one of the things that we've constantly talked about here is is the the medical side, but but let's just face it, this initiative or uh, these initiatives, I should say, are the root of decades and decades of work being done by uh, Normal, by MPP, the Marijuana Policy Project, by diehards in the industry that are. Uh, focused on bringing access to cannabis because they know that it is, uh, it's, it's time to end the failed prohibition experiment. Um, and, and that is just, it's what's fascinating to me that the kind of conversations Laura's talking about are happening around tables in barber chairs at the bar, wherever you might be, these conversations are happening and people are moving. They're moving quickly because mainstream media and others are starting to understand and grasp that what's been out there really is truly reefer madness. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's there's certainly the next step is to getting our federal government on board with allowing uh, uh, these businesses to operate uh, above the black line and uh, and do their business the way every other business does. Right. And I think, too, for Prop 205, what I always tell people, read the initiative. It, it, it's not it's not written in a difficult manner. I think there's so much confusion about the adult use program, you know, which is to regulate and tax marijuana like alcohol versus the medical program. I mean, I got an email this morning from a dispensary that said, you know, it's going to take the amount of, of uh, medicine away from, from our, our patients. They're no longer going to be able to have the two and a half ounces in two weeks. That's absolutely not true. Yeah. This does not medical affect the, med- the medical program stays uh-huh. in place and effective. This does right. not negatively affect our, our patients whatsoever. And, you know, some of these other things where they talk about employees, and it's just if you look at the words of the initiative, I think you'll see that the propaganda is so blatant it's amazing to mm-hmm. me. Open the initiative. Read it for yourself. Yeah, that's that's what um, uh, the Bill Montgomerys and Sheila Polks of the world would have you believe that our workplaces will become dens of stoners and and this kind of thing. Yeah. Ultimately, the the employer maintains their uh, specific rules and regulations regarding use, just like they do the alcohol. alcohol. I mean, let's there. It would be insane to think that a company like APS, for example, didn't have a policy related to alcohol. Right. They don't they don't allow their employees to come to work uh, when they're drunk, do they? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have a workman's comp claim, what do they test them for? Alcohol, Alcohol. and other drugs. Right. Marijuana will fall into the same category um, as will driving. Right. As, as will driving at some point, they'll figure out a way to, to regulate that. But at the end of the day, uh, this is 
not going to change anything for uh, for the daily driver around Phoenix. The only thing it will change is that they may see a few more dispensaries in their communities. Right. Which, by the way, is another thing that hasn't been addressed. These communities can regulate how many dispensaries will be within the Mora. The zoning rules and regulations of the local municipalities and the rights that they have will remain. And while a lot of people don't love that, it's certainly something that, again, allows for local local control over how many dispensaries you have, what they look like, the prohibition as far as how to get close there to your schools, to your churches. To, those things won't change. So, again, this gives more regulation, not less. Right. I, I think it speaks to how uh, fair the creation of the law was, is they really – did a lot to try to balance everybody's interests. Yeah. And that's even made some people in the pro-marijuana community unhappy, but that's a whole separate <laughs> issue. You know, I think that they really worked hard for many years to craft a law that took right. all these different issues into account and tried to meet somewhere in the middle. There was a argument about uh, monopoly, and that's part of the, we're going to have this, this new regulatory entity, and half of it's going to be people from the existing industry, which is just smart business to bring people in that know how the industry is is working now, but they think it's going to create a monopoly because it gives these uh, existing dispensaries the ability to operate during the period that they create the new rules. At the end of the day, there are so many other businesses in this industry, whether it's extraction, it's edible making, it's testing and and laboratory uh, environments. There are so many other ancillary Lighting, services, construction, and, and even to the point of insurance. the plant, uh, there are so many other opportunities in this business that the the idea that we're creating a monopoly, we're talking about thousands and thousands of jobs. Currently, almost a thousand people employed in the industry now in Arizona. Yeah. That will increase by 10 times yes. over the next two years. We're talking tens of thousands of people employed and contributing to the economy. Very good point. Very, very good point. Well, I think we're um, – anything to add, Nate? Anything you want to ask? I don't think so. I think we've had a very thorough review of the proposition today. Yeah. Remember yeah. to vote. Hey, remember Get to vote. I am my goodness, yes. <laughs> if you haven't already, yeah, yeah. If please. you still have your mail-in ballot, by the way, it's too late to mail it in. Make sure you drop it off at a polling location. Any polling location can accept your ballot. If you need to vote early, if you feel like you're going to have long lines on Tuesday, which let's face it, uh, we've had a lot of long line <laughs> issues. Uh, there are early voting locations. You can find those Wait, in Maricopa County. Is it still County. going on? Or is oh, it, yeah. did it end on Friday? No, you can still, uh, I think tomorrow and even, are you able to go early in? Early voting ended. Okay. It ended on right. Friday, yeah. And but if you get to a polling location where you don't have, uh, your certif- your, your voting card or they don't know if you're, you can always vote a provisional ballot. Right. And they have to accept it. Don't that let them correct. tell you, yeah. And then the next time you hear anybody say anything completely outrageous <laughs> and you think it might be too outrageous to be true, likely it is too <laughs> outrageous to be true. But do your homework, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to personally thank our guests, uh, John Hartzell, Darren Babin, Lauren Bianchi, Andrew Hart for joining Nate and I today. Visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com to learn more about today's show and about what each of our guests are doing. And be sure to stay tuned to the nationwide televised simulcast election night all night starting at 3 o'clock Pacific time. You'll be able to watch returns and uh, see what's happening with all of the cannabis measures. I will be in the Arizona Post um, co-hosting with Dave Inman who has State of Cannabis show 
And Laura Bianchi will be joining Russ Belleville in Los Angeles at the main anchor hub. So um, we're really looking forward to this. Thank you. Congrats on that. It's going to be a lot of work, but it'll be (laughs) a lot of fun. And it's going to be televised, like like Darren said, it'll be on... Um, a number of network affiliate stations. So just look at your directories, check out um, what's happening in your newsrooms in your local community. And um, don't forget to tune in. So we'll have it running on our website on thecannabisreporter.com as we will also have it on our Facebook. Um, if you can't remember that, you can watch it on cannabisradio.com, the video and Um, XRQK Radio Network and Airtime America Satellite Radio will be carrying it throughout uh, North America. So there are lots of options. Check us out online to find out what's easiest for you to watch or listen. And many thanks to our engineer Josh here at KFNX and to Steve, our program director at XRQK. Of course, a million thanks to my partner in crime, uh, Nate Nichols. Most of all, thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in again next week, same time, same place, for another edition of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed, and if you haven't already voted, please go to the polls.